This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We've all decided to merge art and science. We're all a little freaking crazy um, <laughs> from pursuing this particular endeavor. Uh, yes. And so adding drama for the sake of drama. Right. That's exhausting. It's right. just exhausting. No, I, I mean, literally, I think. Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Apologies for the long delay. I've had a lot going on with the holidays, family, work, and another project. So just think of this as a belated season 2023 kickoff. I think you'll really enjoy this new episode with my friend Ray McCaffrey, the executive producer at Steel Wool Studios. Ray's been in the game industry for over a dozen years and worked on games like Injustice, Gods Among Us, Batman, Arkham Origins, Mortal Kombat X, Cardio X, Palmex, Five Nights at Freddy's, and more. Here's insights and advice gained over these years, including ideas around technology, great games, and working with others. Enjoy. Hey, Ray, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, JP. How are you? Doing good. Staying warm? Um, uh, doing my best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what part of the country are you calling in from? I'm calling in from uh, the Chicagoland suburbs, just outside Chicago. I know that area uh, well. All right, let's get started. So like, tell me about your current role. Sure. So uh, I am currently the executive producer for Five Nights at Freddy's at Steel Wool Studios. Mm -hmm. um, my responsibility is basically um, keeping things on track for the franchise as a whole for the studio. Um, so that's everything from cool. oversight of like day-to-day -day dev and maintaining relationships with partners like Sony and Microsoft and Epic and mm -hmm. uh, you know overseeing marketing that we do, things like that. Cool. So how did you get started in the game industry? That's always a, a big question. It's uh, uh, the short answer uh, is nepotism. <laughs> it's, it's definitely nepotism. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the long answer. So um, Hector Sanchez, who you, ah, you know, I know um, he's formerly a producer at NetherRealm Studios. Uh, I think he's the one running one of Epic's publishing verticals now. He's like head of third party publishing or something. But mm -hmm. he's actually... Uh, one of my brother's closest longtime friends. Oh, uh, that's right. So back in uh, back in 2010, I moved to Chicago with just one friend. I didn't know anybody, and mm -hmm. so when I moved there, he, you know, was hanging out with him one night, and he's like, "Hey, I know a couple guys that I work with at NetherRealm who are in a band, and they're looking for a bass player." I played bass. <laughs> the I dreaded band connection from exactly. video games. Uh, exactly. Multiple times. Okay. The uh, so they introduced he introduced me to uh, to these two artists and uh, we just hit it off. Um, mm -hmm. So you know me and these me and these two guys, we were in a band for a few years. Um, cool. And a couple of years after uh, I was playing music with them, like I I was working in IT at the time, and mm -hmm. um, after a couple of years of playing with them, 
I started to like push them to like, hey, let's book shows. Hey, let's go record. Hey, let's let's start making merchandise. I was trying to like get everything organized, and I was trying to like get some things moving from like a business perspective. Right. And uh, these guys just wanted to hang out and play music, which is totally fair. Yeah. Um, so one day I was lamenting my job in IT, and one of them just said, "Hey." There's this contract assistant producer job opened up at NetherRealm. Uh, you should apply. Mm. I was like, oh, well, I mean, you know, what, does it pay well? And they go, no. And I go, <laughs> do I get benefits? And they go, no. I'm like, well, how does it work? And they're like, well, they hire you. And then after nine months, you, your contract ends. And maybe, maybe they hire you full time. Maybe, you know, maybe they don't. Right. Um, and so, uh, so I applied um, mm. because who doesn't want to make video games right. and uh, my resume went through and I was, uh, was hired pretty quick. I guess I had like Jira administrative experience. That was like, ah. the relevant experience that right. I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Jira's you know, key. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I took the gig and despite protests from friends and family being like, what are you doing? You, this is crazy. <laughs> You're ruining uh, your life. What are you doing? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm not joining the circus. I'm going to make video games. Get off my back, right? <laughs> my, I'm actually got a funny story about my mom and, and that whole thing. She was freaking out. Um, uh, you know, my, my brothers and my stepfather were very much like, go do exactly what you want to do with your life. And my mom was just like panicking. I wasn't exactly the most responsible 23-year-old or however old I was. So right, yeah. doing something like that was pretty pretty out there. But Hector made sure I got an interview. I know that. Yeah. And then, uh, I interviewed the producers and they brought me on and mm-hmm. I was hired for the, uh, the console team to work with the Cortec folks. Okay. Did that cool. for nine months. We shipped Injustice Gods Among Us. And mm-hmm. then uh, my contract was ending in April and they extended it a month and they hired me full time in May. Ah, Hector's good people. I, I haven't seen Hector in a while and I need to actually get him on the show. No, but that's cool. You did that, right? And you didn't take the, the boring path, the safe path, do it. That's what people want me to do. Right. So, you know, it was a risk at the time, but it's funny, you know, I, I tell that story now and people they'll look at me funny. Like what's 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 so funny? And then their response is, "I can't imagine you fixing somebody's email." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've got a I've got a pretty pretty deep well of patience, particularly as particularly as I've gotten older. Uh-huh. But uh, I don't know, fixing helping people restart their routers, right? Wasn't going to be a long term thing. <laughs> so, all right, thinking back, thinking back to the beginning, like, what do you kind of wish you had known when you had started? I thought long and hard about this question, and I'm, I've been trying to think of an eloquent way to answer it. I'm going to ramble around it a little bit. That's fine. Uh, the, uh, to put it in a very crass way, I wish I had known to just shut up. Um, okay. <laughs> like, I'd been in my previous job for like four years. I knew everything I needed to know for the position that I was in. I had a lot of confidence, and I had a lot of that youthful arrogance. Right. So, you know, I, I joined the game team, right? And I'm sitting in meetings and I'm surrounded by titans of the industry, mm-hmm. right? I'm yeah. sitting in a room and, and, you know, With Ed and the crew uh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Barron sitting oh, there. Yeah, Ed's awesome. sitting there. Yeah. Right. And, and Mike, you know, Mike, Boone. Mike Boone's sitting there. There's right. all these guys whose combined collective experience is a hundred years. years. Exactly. I was doing the math in my head. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I remember being in that room and somebody would say something that either I thought was funny or interesting or something. And I, I, I would feel the need to comment on it and mm-hmm. just, Oh, I wish I had just kept my mouth <laughs> shut because there's nothing that the kid who's been in the industry for 27 minutes is going <laughs> to say that is going to even show up on the radar of anyone in the room other than why is the new kid talking? We have serious things to discuss. Um, <laughs> So putting it the crass way of, I wish I had known to shut up. The reality is, the positive spin on it is, I wish that I had paid more attention to listening. I got there pretty quick, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I wish that I had just really listened and absorbed this seemingly endless wealth of knowledge that all right. of these guys had picked up over the course of their lives. Like, these aren't just guys that have made big games these are guys that invented types of games right then grew them from 
this small little crew of people to worldwide phenomenon, right? Yeah. There's yeah, crew of six grew, you know, MK into a, a, a cultural phenomenon. And it, you know, it, it hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, I, I remember there was a moment I was sitting in a meeting taking notes uh, in a mm-hmm. pit surrounded by these guys and, you know, a handful of other programmers, other producers or whatnot. Yeah. And somebody made a comment about a particle effect that was going on in a, a, one of the background portals mm-hmm. in Injustice. And somebody commented, like, that's a really cool effect. And I was just like, yeah, that is like a really cool effect. And I like had inadvertently spoken over something that Mike Boone had said mm. uh, as he was talking. And, right. and I realized it pretty quickly. Like, he had to repeat himself. And then I had to write it down while he was repeating it. And like, he was saying something that was valuable for me. Right. Like, whatever. The Frame rate of- or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mike's, yeah, exactly. Mike's all about engineering performance. So, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, there was information there that I had to listen to a second time in order to absorb. Like, mm. if I could go back or if I could give advice to anybody, particularly joining a studio that has any level of seasoned leadership, it's right. like, these guys know what they're talking about. <laughs> right. They know what they're doing. <laughs> Just keep your head down, absorb, listen. When right. the time is right, not when everybody's trying to work out a problem. When the time is right, ask a follow up question. You know, swing right. by someone's office afterwards if they're not busy and go, hey, you mentioned that there was hitching in this part of the environment, but not the other one. What did mm-hmm. you mean? Right. Um, right. So I started doing that. Um, and, you know, there was the head of Cortec there, uh, Gavin Freiberg at the time. Okay. He, <clears throat> um, I did that with him a bunch of times and he was always thrilled to pull me into his office and, and expand upon whatever the topic was we had just left in a conference room. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. These, these are wildly smart people talking about wildly complex things. Right. Um, and they want nothing more than to elaborate on it with you when the time is right. Yeah, share their knowledge. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, spending more time listening uh, and then really circling up later on topics that really interested me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, the biggest piece of advice I would have given myself. Yeah, no, that's smart. And, you know, you had the self-awareness at some point to, for that to click in, like, oh, okay, throttle back, all right, let's, you know, ask afterwards and not say it in the meeting. Mike's a friend of mine, and Mike, he doesn't talk at length, right? Like, he's not just, he's not just one of those talkers or ramblers, so, like, when he's talking, it's something important, so, yeah, I could see how you talked over him, I was like, ooh, misstep here, Mike's talking about performance, shut the F up. uh, And it's funny, it seems so innocuous, too, because I was just, I was complimenting a compliment that had already gone out, right? Yeah, yeah. you were excited, right? You know, it was that exuberance, that passion. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great advice. So what about advice you'd give someone looking to get their first job, right? Like thinking back to your situation back then or, you know, now actually, which is more relevant, like getting that first step in. Yeah. I mean, experience and education are, um, they really mean nothing without context. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to get discouraged because you're going to see people that have big resumes or people that have more experience than you or people mm-hmm. that know other people. Yeah. Um, the reality is whatever work you're doing to get yourself into the games industry, you are constantly learning something new and you are constantly gaining additional context. Mm-hmm. Presenting yourself as a professional that understands that they don't understand everything. Um, and, understand how to contextualize it for others how to communicate yeah exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it like that's one of the most valuable things that you can present to to teams and to companies like you can demonstrate you understand how to grow uh and how to sort of deliver results based on knowledge rather than just hey person i have all this information Mm -hmm. right there's there's a difference there between the knowledge and the information so yeah what about advice um, for someone trying to advance their career in production right now? Um, production is one of those funny places because mm-hmm. um, you do a lot and it feels like you're doing nothing. <laughs> um, you know, a concept artist will finish a piece of art and they have now finished this piece of art. Right. They either, iterate on, exactly. they, they either iterate on it or they move on. Um, with production, it never ends, right? It's a continuous yeah. cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're in that cycle, I mean, the, the best way to demonstrate your worth investing in is documenting the results. So, um, 
in the case of like concept art, let's say you're working with artists to make sure they have all the definitions for everything that they're about to work on, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you're making a concept of Sub-Zero or whatever. It's like, right. Well, here's the pillars of Mortal Kombat X, and we want it to feel real and gritty, um, you know, a, a little more grounded than maybe a previous MK. Mm -hmm. so you gather that information, you put it in a place where the artist is able to uh, easily digest that information. Right, confluence, something like that. Right. right, and then present it effectively, so they only have to see it, read it, hear it once, and then are able to go through the motions and get their job done, right? Mm -hmm. If you are able to, again, sort of going back to the contextualization, like if you're able to contextualize information for everybody and then demonstrate that you've only had to say a thing once instead of, well, we had a meeting, uh, and then I sent an email, uh, and then we had a call, uh, and then I slacked. Uh -huh. And then I made a ticket. It's right, like, right. those are all different paths. And if you have to do all five, you're, something's taking five times as longer than maybe it should. Right. Documenting your little wins like that, where, yep, I, I received what was supposed to be the, the foundational description for this character. I presented it to the artist in this very specific way. Mm -hmm. They understood it quickly, and they generated the art on time. Like, that right there is something that you document. So here's, here's a skill set that I have, right? Yeah, um, it's nice too because while it feels like maybe you're just constantly going and you don't have something to deliver, while certainly you don't want to go around saying I made that piece of concept art, right? You do get to say I helped get that done by the time that it needed to get done. I helped contribute right. to this piece of art coming into the world, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you don't say that out loud to anybody else, you can say it to yourself and really give yourself a confidence boost, right? And and yeah. If the whole thing is a success, your team will also trust you and they'll go to you to get information if you're able to present it in a way that they get, right? Mm -hmm. uh, their trust will give you a confidence boost. Um, yeah. yeah. They, trust your, they trust your judgment. The leaders in your company will start to trust your judgment. They'll see your value. And right. if they're good leaders, they will raise you up. Mm -hmm. uh, Those are all great points. And just to be blunt, like, you know, there's a lot of bad producers out there, right? So <laughs> when you're good, it's very obvious and people gravitate towards that because they're used to people who just aren't good at production, nagging them or being useless or causing problems or being friction. And so by being good at that, people want to be with you and be part of what you're doing, right? They, they kind of, it's a gravitational pull to get kind of weird but i don't know yeah. no it's it's 100 correct too it's you're being able to to act as the calm little center of everyone's universe right uh, that you know I, i've certainly lost my temper uh from, from <laughs> time to time you have to tell uh, me about that yeah um but you know as, I, as, sorry let me rephrase that as a former producer who lost his temper too many times i'm, I'm not speaking ill of you Ray. i'm speaking well, of my own Mixed history of losing my temper. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I certainly haven't kept uh, those incidents. weren't always the most private incidents for me. Um, yeah. Being able to to have the overview of everything and remain calm mm -hmm. and be patient with others who either are just catching up or don't understand something or yeah. uh, really just want someone there that they can rely on. Um, mm -hmm. Being that that sort of stoic face for them. Always yeah. makes people always makes people feel really comforted, and it it really um, allows them to do their jobs. It gives them the confidence to move forward without worrying about all the things. Um, it's your job to worry about all the things, and it's also your job not to blink when you are or when you're when you're <laughs> staring down the barrel of the whatever. Um, right. You know, you're the you're the the, the calm face for the yeah. team. Yeah, because yeah, it, it is it is tough to keep a straight face and stay calm because you feel the pressure, right? Like the date is on you. It is your responsibility. And if you run around with your hair on fire, all that does is freak everybody else out more. Yep. Right. And then 100%. it makes everyone else more anxious and it just makes everything worse. So this is one of those really easy things that if you're not doing it today, you can start today. Mm -hmm. uh, you get to be people's confidant. Um, so yeah. something that I wish I had learned just a little earlier, instead of being young and dramatic, right. <laughs> I wish I had been just a little less dramatic, but you know, people would come and uh, they they would confide in me, right? They, yeah. would come, they would tell me what they were feeling or how they were feeling, and right. even if I thought 
you have nothing to worry about here. I don't know why you're worrying, right? You don't say that. You listen, you let people get things off their chest, yeah. and then you go about your day. You don't say any of that to anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, the producers being, um, producers being confidants, yep. uh, sort of get that trust implicitly um, until mm-hmm. you ruin it, and you ruin it very quickly by yeah. the minute you let someone else's frustration spill in mm-hmm. front of someone else well alan over here he's really mad at you know bob over here right, right, right. so i know how you're feeling it's like that right. doesn't it, there's nothing endearing about that there's nothing great about that yeah uh, it's so drama it's, at that point and you're adding to the drama which i mean we're we've all decided to merge art and science we're all a little freaking crazy um, <laughs> from pursuing this particular 100 percent, yes. endeavor and so adding drama for the sake of drama right that's exhausting it's right. just exhausting People used to come in my office and shut the door and just vent. And, and par- it's almost like you're bartender slash psychiatrist. Um, people need that, right? Just to be able to get things off their chest and talk stuff through and then be a calm voice and kind of say we're going to work things out and figure it out. To, have, to be a sounding board, too, sometimes, maybe just for ideas. But, yeah, the last thing you want to do is run around spreading news and what you heard and just adding gasoline to a fire that, could already be going so yeah you don't want to do that so kind of piggybacking off that like we kind of covered it but see what your thoughts are and what you feel the most important quality or skill for other producers to have so this actually i can kind of encapsulate what we were talking about a little bit this is this is something i found myself repeating the last few years mm-hmm. um and it was actually it's funny i wrote it as a song lyric like <laughs> seven or eight years ago wow um and it's just sort of stuck with me since, uh, and I've used it with used it with not just production teams but all disciplines. Games are complicated; they are complex beasts. To do it well requires subtlety and nuance, and mm-hmm. a whole lot of shock and awe. Um, <laughs> there's always going to be a complication. Nothing is ever going to go right. Just right. get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, <laughs> totally. I once, you know, there was, <laughs> this is funny. I had a, uh, a very fresh assistant producer mm-hmm. who made, he made a schedule for this project. Right. And a couple of days later, this is his first time making a schedule. A couple right. of days later, a week later, something like that. We're in a meeting and we get a whole bunch of new inputs and it's like, okay, well, that schedule now needs to change. Hey, hey man, uh, can, can you take this data that we just got in this meeting? Can you go update the schedule? Right. He goes, well, I already made the schedule. The schedule's done. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, it's all yeah. done, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. It was done last time. It's going to be exactly. done five more times yes. in the next week. And, and that was the, literally, I was like, well, you know, you're, yep, it was done. Uh, you're going to need to go update it again. Uh, and also, you've chosen this to be your career. So <laughs> be prepared to change that same schedule 1,700 more times <laughs> between now and when you retire in 45 years. Right. Because this is literally the core activity that you have signed up for as a producer. So, um, right. <laughs> if you're not comfortable with that, go get a job at a bank because uh, this is, <laughs> you're, you're going to be dealing with all of this change and uncertainty for the rest of your life in this career. So get used to I, it or, or move on. Exactly. Another room, we would do these 360 performance reviews, mm-hmm. and you essentially would get anonymous feedback from your coworkers, right? About uh, how, right, you yeah, whatnot. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell you, I don't remember 99% of what was in those things. I don't think anybody ever really did. Um, right. Some people took them very seriously, some people didn't. Yeah, uh, I would always read the really critical feedback and try and change, but the positive stuff always just kind of came and went because usually it was pretty, uh, right. Sorry. It was unthoughtful. It was just like, well, I really like working with Ray. Tap, tap, tap. Okay, click next. Like people were just trying to get things done. Anyway. Right, right. It wasn't useful. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. It was one comment that one person made that has just stuck with me. Somebody called me unflappable. And I didn't, I'd never even heard the word. Like I had to, I had to like Google it at the time. <laughs> um, and it was like, wow, like this person thinks I'm unflappable. That I, I, yeah, nothing, nothing stresses me out that I am just the calm little center of the room. Mm-hmm. Again, if you know me at all, you know that like there there are times when I am not that, but right that particular quality, right? That I was comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, the unknown, the lack of the absence of information um, doesn't stress me out. The mm-hmm. worrying about whether or not we'd go into a rev- we'd go into a review and show off some cool new stuff that we had made, and we were, we're showing it off to Ed. If Ed didn't like yep. it. 
Then Ed didn't like it. And okay, he doesn't like it. We're going to go change it. We're going to try something else, right? Yeah. You, you'd see all the, the, all the brains churning before that going, well, how do we make it really great so that he definitely likes it? How do we? And in my head, I'm like, yeah, you'll get good at your job. And if you're good at your job, like this person will recognize that. And, and this, whatever, whatever we're working on here will move forward. Right. But there's always that chance that like, nope, this doesn't fit with everything else that we're doing. And this is the person in charge. So if it changes, it changes. There's right. so many, I've just met so many people in my career that, you know, they, they freak out and be like, I wasted all this work oh, right, a whole month right. making this thing. And now it's gone. And it's like, well, no, you've learned how to make that thing. Yeah. So if we ever need to make it again, then we're there. You're there. You, you've already done the exercise, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I've seen a lot too. And not to pick on a group of people, but like artists, especially, especially younger in their career, they get very attached as a former artist myself, right? Like to their work and they get really spun up with if something gets not used or, you know, air quotes thrown away or whatever. And it's just like, Hey, this is the business, right? It, it, that didn't work, but we learned X, Y, and Z. So do this version and we'll use that. Or we may even pivot 180 and do something, something different, but we're not judging you on your character as a human. Uh, it's just, this wasn't right for that. And don't be so attached and emotionally invested in it. Right. Like it's, this is a job, but yeah, I mean, be, be prepared to kill your darlings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. The people that can't deal with that, they don't last or they're just miserable the whole time throughout their entire career. Yes. I feel bad. I've seen that. that more than it's really hard to change careers. Once you've gone down a path, mm -hmm. I have seen more folks over the years just be miserable because right. they, they get in their own way. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, guess what? The game design changed. And you know what? It's going to change a dozen <laughs> more times right. between now and launch. Right. I, that's just what's going to happen. Right. Because the thing we made today is not as fun as it needs to be for us to, re to, to release something we're proud of. Right. Right. It'll change. Right. So that means characters will change and environments will change and mm -hmm. stories will change and audio will like. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is something that me and the folks at Steel Wool Leadership Team, we talk about a lot. I think it was our art director who said it one day. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, you can, you can make all the roadmaps and all the plans in the world. Um, but there is no map for making a video game. Like you best, the best thing you'll get is a compass, mm -hmm. right? And you use that to head in the general direction you know you need to go. Right. Um, but the path will twist and it will wind, and you'll end up in a cave, and then on top of a mountain, <laughs> and then exposed in an open field or lost in the desert. Right. Like that is what's going to happen. It's not a matter of if; it's it's just when. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to find fun. Right. And, and that's harder to quantify, quantify. And it's not we hit these six bullet points and then we'll be right. a seller. Yeah. It, it's it's more ambiguous than that. Um, yes. So what about advice for developing your, like, your interpersonal skills, your EQ, the, the core skills, as they say? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most important things you can do is be honest with yourself about your own flaws. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Um, being honest with yourself about your flaws and recognizing your strengths. You, know, yeah. you can double down on your strengths pretty easily because strengths typically come fairly naturally. Um, but recognizing your flaws and then putting in effort to improve those things. Right. Um, Reduce the flaw. Or, yeah. That's what I found works really, really well for me. Um, mm. So, you know, I've got... I, I, so actually, I, I can give you a great example. So whenever, when I was a younger producer, whenever I made a mistake, I always took it very personally. Mm -hmm. I would always get really upset with myself if I made a mistake. Right. Chris um, Farley, damn it. Oh, damn it. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, the, uh, as I've gotten older, it's like, no, I made a mistake. You know, I, I, I made a mistake just the other day. I had some folks, I thought I, I had said, hey, this was plan A to implement this particular thing right. we're going to go to plan b and i thought i was clear about what it is we were supposed to do and about four days later somebody comes up to me he's like hey are you know they think we're waiting on a plan and mm -hmm. in that moment i was like nope i said the plan to five people three people mm -hmm. and if all three of them didn't know that that was the plan like i screwed up that was me that means i didn't effectively communicate exactly what it is we need to do Right. Yeah. So in that moment, it was, well, I made a mistake. I didn't get upset about it. I don't do that anymore. I go, hey, everyone, my bad. I made a mistake. L let me say this whole thing over again. 
mm-hmm. um, in a way that's a little clearer, right? And now it's fixed and everyone's on the same page and the thing's moving forward, right? Right. Um, right. So, Instead of flipping tables and being like, did you not hear me? Rah, 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 rah. You, yes. you know, it's like if the message d- did not get delivered, that's on the messenger, right? And, and having the maturity, you, you know, that you have, that's fantastic to be able to recognize that and not flip tables and be an a-hole. So that's cool. And that's the other part of it too, is the being a jerk. Nobody wants to work with a jerk. No, God, no. I've worked oh, God, I can tell stories, man. It's just yeah. Oh yeah. Life's it's, too short to work with jerks. Yeah. It really, really is. Um right. it's funny because on the one hand, there's a difference between like giving constructive criticism and mm-hmm. just being an absolute jerk. Yeah. Like, the difference between providing feedback and being mean. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that that person's a little little terse maybe but they have great feedback and it's for the better of the product right and you're like okay versus the person that is just a jerk and they like being a jerk right like i've you know i I think that person actually kind of got off on being a jerk i'm like what is wrong with you man It's, it's like who goes around just being a tyrant and enjoying it like you're just a miserable you know sob like man what is your effing deal and i don't want to deal with those people man it's just like life's too short like f off you don't need those people in your life i'm very lucky to be in the position that i'm in because throughout my career i've always said you know i would rather have five mediocre people that fit well with the team Mm -hmm. than one wildly talented asshole oh yeah right um i've always always said that but now right. I'm in a position where I actually get to live it and I work with people that 100% agree with me. Mm-hmm. So there's this, um, you know, it, it's a, it's, you work really hard and you put in the effort to grow yourself and your skills and work with the team. You end up in a position where you, you don't want to work with any of those people. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. There's the, the whole, well, this is my job and I'm stuck with these people. That goes away. Um, at a right. certain, if you really want it to. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the place that I'm in now. It only took 10 years, <laughs> um, but you know, it's uh, it's a good place to be and it's the right place to be. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but, but I'm, I'm thinking back because we worked together at Level X, right? I'm not going to say names or anything, but there was a candidate that came in, impeccable resume, came through the recruiter and... Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. Hell of a resume. This person is awesome, right? And and you and Funk went into an interview yep. and said something totally inappropriate and off-color, right? And and you you two looked at each other because that's just not what we're about and we're not going to put up with that shit. And he was like, oh, I guess I read the room wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was funny. He didn't even realize he had read it wrong. Like, he, he, he just, it was a horrible, horrible joke he made. Oh. And it was, it, you know, it's one of those, had he had a job already, it's the go to HR type of joke. Right. And I, and I just, I know Eric and I were just frozen. Like, yeah. I, there's no, you read that so wrong, my right. guy. Like, you are way off. And the resume was wildly impressive. Totally. I, you know, came to the recruit. I was like, damn, we got to talk to this person. And then I saw your feedback and I'm like, what the, we're done, man. I, I, I don't know what, no, this, this is it. I told the recruiter, shut it down. Yeah. We're done. You, you know, and then the recruiter told me he went a swearing tirade oh, yeah. at the recruiter about how we overreacted. And I'm like, man, we just dodged a bullet. Like, bullet. totally 100%. dodged a bullet. Like, we don't want that kind of crap. And, and those people, should just move on, oh, yeah. go go into or something. I I don't know. Get get out of the game industry. Um, go Wall Street of whatever's. But sorry, I just went to tangent, but I was thinking about that. Um, so what are no, you curious? Right it's one of the nice things working with you and the other folks I was surrounded with. Like, yeah, just I don't have to put up with this, so I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. We'll find somebody else, and yeah. um, you're not welcome here. <laughs> take that somewhere else <laughs> and, and be a problem for hr somewhere else we, yes. we don't need that shit <laughs> goodbye um so what are you curious about right now in the industry i think uh, one of the things i'm most curious about um mm-hmm. 
these days is actually the Uncanny Valley. Hmm? What is that? Actually, uh, I just gotten, I just platinum trophied um, God of War, mm. Ragnarok, and impressive. Damn. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually locked in a hotel room for uh, about two weeks with COVID. Oh, uh, okay. So <laughs> enough to have my PlayStation Five. And so, yeah, I, uh, I, I completed a platinum trophy <laughs> out of War Ragnarok. That's what I did with my... Anyway. That's, yeah. No, that's, that's good. Um, playing that game, like, you look at these character models, they look so close to being real, but they're still obviously video game characters, right? Mm-hmm. You look at Atreus, you know, Kratos' son, and it's very obviously a 3D model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, boy, is it the best-looking 3D model you've seen, you know, probably ever for most people mm, um, right in a video game yeah but you know i mean you and i know there is a high-res sculpt of that character somewhere on a hard drive somewhere <laughs> right yeah Sony santa monica yep. and it's animated and it looks creepy and it looks uncomfortable because it's so realistic right i find myself thinking about that now that i'm spending more time in the console and pc space again because on the one hand you want to make the most brilliant, high-resolution, most beautiful-looking characters that you can. Yeah. But if you do it too well, nobody will play your game because it's uncomfortable and creepy. So I'm wow. curious about how we're going to cross that divide, how we're going to cross that uncanny valley and, and get to the other side where something can be as hyper-realistic as it can possibly be mm-hmm. uh, to the point where you don't even notice that it's maybe not real. Um, yeah, right. It's uh, uh, we're sort of like this this I don't know Mac terminal velocity when it comes to graphics, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to humanoids. And so I'm I'm very curious to see how the industry is going to handle that now that we're sort of I mean Moore's law is over. Yeah, right, right. right. It's faster. But yeah, like we're our chips are currently as small as they're going to get mm-hmm. uh, for the short term. Right. And uh, what happens once we break through that barrier from a graphical fidelity perspective? Well, yeah, and and just even using Moore's law, right? You have to, you don't have to be like, well, well, twenty years ago, games like you say ten years ago, right? right? And then you go, all right, fast forward five years or eight years from now, right? Then what, right? It's, um, yeah, it's wild. Well, the yeah. the last there was a YouTube video I saw the other day. It was a comparison of The Last of Us when it came out on PlayStation Three, The Last of Us like remaster for playstation 4 and then the most recent last of us remaster for playstation 5 right and it shows you know cutaways of cutscenes all happening oh, cool. and uh yeah it, it's each iteration is wildly different than the previous one in terms right. of model quality and lighting and and the environments like it's just it, it's beyond impressive mm-hmm. um, the curious thing is like where does it even go from here right That's, right Right. But there's a, here's the thing. I say that, but there's always somebody that comes up with a new thing. And then a year and a half from now, it's, oh, well, of course, we're all using this, you know, spectral decomposition <laughs> quantum uh, subsurface scattering or something. Yeah. Uh, or tune shading. Yeah. Right, that's, that's where it's at. Everyone's going tune shading. What? No. Yeah. Um, what about potential threats uh, to the industry? Like, what do you kind of like, this is a problem, or this could get weird? I think threat is a strong word. Mm-hmm. One that I've been thinking about the most recently. Concerns, maybe concerns. Yeah. yeah. Uh, AI, right? Like, everybody's talking about chat GPT. Everybody. Right, right, right. Dolly and mid-journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it is, it's a concern, but it is also, in my opinion, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, every time there's a dramatic leap forward, uh, in technology, there's always this concern of, there's always a concern of, well, I'm going to lose my job or I'm not going to do, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the same thing the same way anymore. Right. There's the concern of, well, if humans aren't doing it, what could a bot possibly create? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but. No. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, Right. It's almost existential. Like, what, what is my purpose at then or something? Yeah. And it's, you know, I say concern. Um, and I, today, I think the actual concern is being concerned. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of seeing hmm. 
sphere as far as the general public is concerned. But like anything else, it's just going to be another tool in our toolbox. Yeah. So it's a threat short term because people will look at it and fill in the future, right? They'll try and predict the future, which oh, right. garbage at. We're terrible at it. Don't do that. It's an exhausting <laughs> waste of energy. But it's, you know, if a concept artist will use that example, right? Like you can go into ChatGPT right now. You can go into MidJourney and you can create a story and then use that story to create a beautiful piece of concept art. You can do that. And, and if you get really good at those prompts and really good at telling AI what it is you're looking for, mm-hmm. you will generate production quality work today, right? Right, yeah. Does that mean that concept artists are going to lose their jobs? I don't know. Does it mean that maybe concept artists are going to have to evolve in the long term and use AI as another tool in their toolbox? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you make a piece of art, if you can get the foundation of a piece of art you want in 10 minutes when before it took you 10 days, right? And you take the 10 days to polish instead, right? Or like three days, and then, yeah, you get more content done. Yeah. Right. You, it, there, there's a lot of value in it. You know? Mm hmm. So, the, so there's the, the sort of existential threat on that front. I mean, another example I, I saw the other day, I can't remember if I saw it on TikTok or Reddit. It was talking about, guy asked ChatGPT to write him a Unity script. Okay. And I don't remember what the script was for. They asked him to write a script. ChatGPT spits out the script, also spits out instructions mm. on how to... Like how a to read put, me or something? Like yeah. how to... <laughs> instructions on how to put the script into the engine. And it also included a, uh, a sort of sub-instruction that was like, just so you know, when you do this, you're going to get these warnings and these errors. Wow. If you go into settings inside of Unity and you <laughs> check or click this dropdown or whatever, it'll solve that problem. Damn. So it was able to write the script based on a couple-sentence description, yeah. instructions on how to install it, and then also troubleshoot it for him before he even had a chance to do something wrong. It sounds like it was self-aware, like, and this is going to probably happen, so think about that, yeah. right yeah and and so you know it's um hmm. there's that that existential threat um and and i mean you know i i personally believe that if you if you don't think that a robot can do your job one day you're thinking wrong about you're thinking correct <laughs> right um uh you know you'd said like there are some bad producers out there yeah uh, there is a robot coming for my production job one day <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't need to be the best producer ever. It just needs to be better, a little better than me, right? It only right. needs to be a little better than the best producers I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't need to be perfect. And I think people have this like romanticized version in their minds of what what AI sh- needs to be in order to be successful. Like, no, it just has to be a little better than you. It has to make one less mistake than you would make. Right. And that's it. Like You're out of the job. There's a bot coming for all of us. Right. Yeah. It used to be like, oh, well, I'm safe. I'm a knowledge worker. I'm, you know, whatever white collar means or whatever. And that doesn't mean shit, right? Like, there's plenty of people getting laid off left and right. So, yeah, you, you can't just be like, I'm fine. I'm safe. Yeah. I mean, doctors and lawyers, like, the amount of knowledge you need to have to be a doctor and a lawyer is, is staggering. Hmm. But to know it all is beyond your capability as a human being right like cross-referencing every law with every other law and doing it in any reasonable amount of time to make your point as a lawyer that is going to be blown out of the water by a thought that can comb all of human knowledge ever on the internet and we won't be able to compete at some point yeah Um, oh damn robot overlords yeah it'd be nice to hear alexa Right. Just remember who bought you, man. Um, I always said please when I asked you to <laughs> to play Nirvana. Right. I never swore at you. And what about thoughts on like AR, VR, XR? Like, so AR is a funny one. Mm-hmm. I have a really hard time seeing how AR becomes valuable to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, I feel that about that way about AR and VR, but VR is a different, different topic. I'll get to in a second. Yeah, AR in the sense of like I'm wearing, I don't know, glasses, glasses, right? Oh. Overlay, and see the world. Like, and, right. Whatever information is being presented on those glasses, or whatever information I'm uh, 
is being mapped onto the world through my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, it needs to be so valuable to me going about my existence that I don't know what I would do without it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I am smart enough or creative enough to come up with the idea of whatever that thing is. But like yeah. mass adopted use of AR, I, I can't wrap my head around where that goes, especially today, given that, you know, these devices heat up to 700 degrees and, and $3,000. Know, yeah. They're thousands of dollars and they weigh four pounds. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, got this this weight hanging off your face trying to walk around you know it's not uh ar in particular maybe it'll have some wonderful practical applications in professional industries although even that like companies were very excited about it many years ago some still are of course yeah it will continue to be companies that push the technology um and maybe they'll find a way to to make it valuable for all of us but like i don't know i i yeah. I don't see how having that information at your disposal on your face at all times uh, is really going to be, isn't going to interrupt your experience. It's going to enhance it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the story you hear, of, and there's two different sides to it, like, the, oh, I'll wear the glasses, and when I'm, you know, walking down the street, I can look at restaurants, and then the the reviews come up, and, oh, that's a three-star, and that's a four star and that's oh I'll, I'll walk to the five star restaurant or whatever so it's like yeah okay that, that that's that's fine but is that that much life changing that you can't do it on your phone in 20 seconds but then you know you get into niche you know or industries in particular especially like the medical field and you can overlay stuff through the glasses and you're in surgery and it enhances and adds value you know, I see that as being powerful, but it's not like I'm wearing these glasses 18 hours a day or something like that, right? It's it's for these surgical or very specific situations where it's like, wow, this can be a game changer, you know, but that's my yeah. perspective. Yeah, and, and it's highly specialized, right? Which is the place everybody has known AR in particular was going. Like, mm. highly specialized circumstances. Right now, it fits very, very well there. It's the taking it to the next level. How do you? How does it become valuable to everybody? That's that's the part I just have trouble seeing. Now, mm-hmm. VR, VR has a similar problem as far as mass adoption goes, but the biggest difference for me is that VR is actually wildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the PlayStation Two, it just played video games. Right, the PlayStation 5, yeah, it's got Netflix and it's got a browser. It actually doesn't have a browser. But it's got Netflix and Prime and you can watch all your... Yeah, games, right, right. Play all these games. And right. Now. You can do that on Roku for $30 too, right? All that stuff, yeah. but yeah. yeah. So it does a little more than it used to. But right. like VR, it's immersive enough that creating a world in and of itself rather than trying to bootstrap your existing world with additional mm. things, right? Okay. When you put on a headset, you're putting on a, head, a VR headset... You're putting it on to go somewhere else. One of my coworkers tells a story all the time about how um, his daughter, uh, she'll throw on her Oculus Quest, mm-hmm. and it's literally just to hang out with her friends. They just sit on, they, they're all at their houses, they all throw on their headsets, and she's like seven or eight years old, and they all just, they all hang out, and hmm. they shoot the shit while they yeah. got their headsets on in their virtual world. <laughs> like, that's, you know, that's entertainment. That's escapism, right? That's, this is the thing that we needed growing up and it's the thing we're enabling for others mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a brief respite from the reality that we all trudge through <laughs> and vr offers that just hand over fist yeah um, the thing i keep reading about it, trip have you ever messed with that before on VR? Mm-hmm. it's like a meditation app but there's all these like visual stimulations and all these like different like kaleidoscope and all this like, just like wild stuff that goes on in it and it's uh i've watched some youtube videos i'm like man that looks that looks pretty trippy uh but it's yeah trip with two p's there's been more investment in vr as far as hardware goes mm-hmm. in the sense you know there's more untethered headsets than ever before yeah they're as powerful as the most powerful mobile devices that we carry around in our pockets which you know you compare the phone i have in my pocket to the computer i was using 15 years ago oh, God, and, right, right? And, phone blows it out of the water right with that technology advancing the way that it has like headsets are only going to become smaller they're only going to become lighter they're only yeah. going to be more powerful and already the focus already already manufacturers the big players in the vr space have figured out that like hey 
You know what's going to get people to use this if they don't need to sit in one spot. If they can throw on the headset and then go sit on a couch in a different room, they're going to be more likely to play games and interact mm-hmm. with our well, when you're not tethered, right? You know, as cool as the uh, HTC Vive is, right? It's a pain in the ass, right? You got these cameras, and then you're mapping the room, and then the cord, and, and you're yanking your head with your four thousand dollar laptop. It, it's just, it just didn't scale. It's too much friction. It's just too many hassles. So the whole idea of being untethered has always been very appealing to me personally. And but I, you know, I've spent, I've spent more time messing around with VR in the last, you know two years than the previous portions of my career and I just, i'm having so much fun playing games that i've uh that i loved before like the room like i loved those mobile games the vr game's great hmm. like, it's fantastic out. hey i love star wars jedi fallen order i'm really excited for jedi survivor which just got delayed which is a bummer but it's also probably better that it got right. a but like, I love those games. I can, I just have a lightsaber. Oh, I can throw on a headset and I can physically hold this lightsaber and mm-hmm. screw around with it inside of a, a completely different world. Like, you know, VR offers, um, it offers just a whole different level of entertainment. Yeah. And like I said, it's going to just keep getting better, right? It's, yeah, the Quest 3 is coming out in October now or something. And, um, yeah, I have my own issues with Meta <laughs> and from <laughs> yeah. other, other points, like, radicalizing friends of mine and all that kind of stuff that but yeah um it's, it's powerful shit and uh it's just gonna keep getting better so what's a funnier odd story from working in the industry i'm i'm sure you have none of these yeah <laughs> um i was trying to think of an appropriate one to tell and i kept right. running into a wall on the uh, appropriate level whether that be because of ndas or just just not great things that i've seen yeah uh, and I actually, uh, there's one story from the very beginning of my career that I absolutely love to tell folks, particularly those that are just getting into the industry, because you truly do not know what you do not know <laughs> until you experience it in games. Okay. So, you know, the video game industry uh, is rife with games that get shut down or canceled or yep. put on ice or pick your cliche phrase. Right. Um, Deep sixed. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but you look at like the really big studios and you go, well, you know what? They're making Assassin's Creed. They're probably going to make another Assassin's Creed and it's probably going <laughs> to come out regardless right. how long it takes or how much money it takes or whatever. So so not long after I joined NetherRealm Studios, you know, I was hired on the, the console team mm-hmm. uh, and I actually sort of uh, love myself sort of an underdog story. Um, there was a small group of folks at NetherRealm that were making mobile games. And I swear the team at the time was uh, so small. The team could have fit comfortably in an Astro van. Like that's how small (laughs) that crew was. And and like Like A-Rod and uh, Mike Lee and a few people. All those guys. Yeah. Um, And they, uh, you know, the the, the team was making at the time games that shouldn't have been running on mobile devices. They needed, I mean, at the time they should have been running on an Xbox 360. Right. I mean, this is is 10, 10 plus years ago. Anyway, I see this team and like the studio would make fun of this team. They were called Team Three. And I asked, like, what was where's Team Two? And they're like, there is no Team Two. <laughs> like uh-huh. um, anyway, I was hired on the console team, but I really liked the game that they were working on and the IP that they were working with at the time. Yeah. I sort of started moonlighting as a producer for the mobile team. Like I would go to meetings and take notes and I'd follow up on stuff and then I'd stay late and I'd, I'd help them out. Yeah. Um, and sort of splitting my time between console and mobile whenever it was really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I volunteered my time because I wanted to help them out. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess this would have been fall or winter of 2012. We're making this game. It's with a franchise that I absolutely love. And I'm so thrilled that I get to see this thing every single day. Uh, and, and I get to watch this game evolve with characters I love. And, and, mm-hmm. and again, I'd been in the industry for nine minutes. So it was, <laughs> it was even cooler than yeah. anything I had ever thought I would do. And so anyway, one day we, we come into work and right as I get to my desk, uh, the lead producer for the mobile team, uh, Aaron Pepergertis, he, uh, he's like, hey, we're having a team meeting in the, in the big conference room. Everybody's got to come and come to the big conference room. It's like, okay. So we go in there and, uh, Sean Hemrick comes in after everybody's everybody's sat down. He walks in and, you know, if you don't know Sean, he can be yeah. a pretty intimidating guy. If it's your if you've been in the industry seven minutes, he's actually a very intimidating guy. Yeah. So very serious, very to the point. Sean walks in, he looks at everybody, and he goes, Okay, 
uh, I have some uh, I have some news to share. Um, the movie that we are making this game for is no longer two movies. It's being cut into three movies. Uh, and so our entire story for the game uh, is now now needs to be cut from the game, meaning we don't have a game. So we are going to be canceling this project. Now, I was sitting there like, I don't completely understand what this means. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't understand the gravity of what had just been said. Yeah, it didn't register. Yeah. I've never made a game before, so I didn't realize the blood, sweat, and tears that these artists and programmers and game designers had poured into making this thing that I just showed up to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 did, I had no context for just how much of themselves they poured into this thing. And everybody in the room was somber and it was totally silent mm -hmm. and like breaking the silence the lead combat designer just literally looks up and goes can we go home <laughs> without even <laughs> blinking sean just goes yes you can go home and i think sean gave him off the rest of the week just like yes just whatever you can go we'll figure out what we're gonna do later um, kind of a shock to the system and the industry because I, I, yeah. I really understood what it meant until after we shipped Injustice and I thought about like wow like that was my that was my first game I actually contributed to what if it had been what if it, that had been canceled right like how would I feel right right because you had no idea probably that, that that would happen and right you know it's like the phrase they don't shoot horses do they right like wait a minute what what just happened yeah, yeah. And it was juxtaposed by, again, like, Sean could be an intimidating guy, and then you see just, like, the most compassionate response possible <laughs> to an <laughs> yeah. entire group of people that have just been crushed. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I think about that day a lot. Yeah, I like Sean. Sean's a friend of mine. I, I, I'm totally visualizing him saying that and how he would deliver that and everything. So, and yeah, yeah. it's probably John Edwards who said, can, I, can we go home? So, I don't know. Yeah, I've actually got, I, as I have another good story, and this, this is a, it's actually... A Sean story that sometimes I tell and sometimes I don't. So I'll tell you, and uh, you can you can do what you want with it. Okay. We were, uh, I think it was when we were making Mortal Kombat X. I was spending half my time on the console team, half my time on the mobile team. So I was a pretty stressed out guy, and uh, yeah. being an assistant producer, associate producer, where I was at the time, you know, you don't have a whole lot of control over decisions, and you don't have a whole lot of control over well, pretty much anything. Um, you're, yeah. you're you're a document note-taking monkey right going with the punches here exactly yeah um so anyway we uh you know we deliver builds to sean and he would play them and he'd give us notes and this was a cycle that we like went through well one night i was out pretty late and i think i may have had a few too many drinks and my phone buzzes <laughs> and it's an email that went to me and it went to aaron pibergertis and went to a rod uh, and it was from Sean, and it was him saying like hey i played the most recent build here are all my notes and i was just in a bad mood and I basically was like, some version of, can you please leave us the F alone? And I wrote this in an email at like midnight and replied all. Oh. Yeah. So I, so I, uh, Ooh, yeah. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what exactly like happened next. I bet Peeps <laughs> me or A-Rod texted me. So there was a conversation that happened after that. I woke up the next morning and realized what I'd done. And I actually, uh, I actually developed a stomach ulcer. I was so upset and anxious because I had effectively told the head of NetherRealm Studios to kiss my ass. Like, that is basically <laughs> what I did. Um, and I was out for two days. Like, I legit almost went to the ER because my, I was having, like, the worst stomach pain I'd ever had. Oh, man, shit. And then uh, after two days, I went in the office. I went in early. I knew he would be in there early. Yeah. And... Uh, walk into his office and he just he's got this he sees me he's got this just grin on his face and he goes hi ray and i, I, I right hi ray yeah, yeah and i shut the door and he's like mm -hmm, you can shut the door and shut the door and i just apologized right away i was like hey look i'm really sorry it was wildly disrespectful i won't do it again i was ready to be chewed out mm. i was re i was ready to be fired like i thought i was gonna get fired yeah and it was the exact opposite. Um, it was, hmm. I appreciate the apology. Um, and then just totally surprised me by saying, like, if you are feeling upset about things that I'm saying, you've got to come tell me, man. Like, you don't, like, I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah. It's like, I hurt my feelings. But if you've got something on your mind, don't let it bubble up. Come tell me and we can talk about it. Um, and, you know, I've got, wow. I've got a bunch of leadership arrows in my quiver that I like to hold on to. And that's always one of them, right? Like, yeah, 
when you're in a position of authority, being able to show patience and compassion for those around you when when they make a mistake in particular. Um, it's one of those lessons that I'll 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 have for the rest of my life. But boy, yeah. that grin on his face when I walked into his office. <laughs> right, right, because he he was anticipating that you're anticipating, uh, you know, getting shook down, and right. he's like, you know what, I'm gonna do something different. I'm I'm gonna take a different path, and yeah. You got to, I mean, I, you know, I guess I've never asked him about it, but I, I, I would have to believe he did enjoy seeing me shaking my boots for a couple of minutes. <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm, I'm just going to milk this for, for a little time here, and but then I'm going to do the right thing. And yeah, yeah, Sean has a good heart. He, he means well with all those things. And yeah, that's a good example. So you'd mentioned the room, like what game or other games are you playing right now that you're excited about? Well, I was excited about Jedi Survivor, but now I have to wait uh, right. for that. It's like it's actually not a couple months, it's like six weeks. But it's totally one of those positions I've been in where it's like, if we had six more weeks, we could actually make a much better game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually glad they're taking the extra right. six. Well, it puts a little more pressure. If it's, if it's late, it better be great, right? So, you know, that's the saying. But yeah, it, I'm sure it'll be better. So that's good. But I actually, I just finished beating uh, The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2 again. Mm-hmm. I've beaten The Last of Us Part 1 like six or seven times. Uh, and I played Damn. The Last of Us 2 uh, a second time just now, uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Those games, Naughty Dog says such a high bar. And now the show is out there. And the show... Oh, God. I keep hearing about the show. Like, people are just blown away. I am so angry about the show <laughs> because... Why is that? Any film or television adaptation of a video game forever mm-hmm. has to meet that bar. Like, they have officially ruined almost everything <laughs> that could possibly come wait, out. Wait, wait, you can't just be a money grab? Is that what you're saying? They actually have to have real content? It just set the bar so high, particularly yeah. for, that kind of, uh, for, for that kind of story and that kind of world. Just like... Yeah, I see it online all the time. And let me ask you this. Like, you're deeply into it because you're obviously very vested in, in the series and stuff. I wonder about people that you know casually play the game or don't play the game at all right uh, it has to be resonating with them because it just seems like it's such a phenomenon that it can't be just the gamers who are passionate about it right it, it's lightning in a bottle it's something yeah. more it is a television show first and foremost they are telling a story it is it is an adaptation of a story and characters that i know are near and dear to my heart and yeah. they're doing a really good job of making it an adaptation and not a one-to-one remake and the changes that they're making there's there's hmm. been a couple substantial changes yeah but a lot more subtle ones and all those subtle ones are adding up to like well without like giving away spoilers like yeah in the third episode you spend time with a character named bill and in the game you are playing a video game so you really don't get much out of bill bill is a, hmm. what, a, a secondary a, character or whatever secondary yeah. character very one-dimensional hmm. uh, you don't know his backstory. You just kind of know who he is as he's presented to you as the player. Right. The internet is cry. The world is in tears after one episode about Bill and Bill's backstory and who's wow. human and what he's done to survive through the apocalypse. Like hmm. it's taking these characters and these themes and these ideas that us as, as gamers know and love and yeah. just cranking them up to 11. It's like, you know, my wife has watched me play The Last of Us 1 and The Last of Us 2 a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And she was still crying watching the show the other day. Wow, it's powerful. It it is incredible storytelling. That's that's actually exciting that you can take like that framework or just like that two-dimensional part that you interact with briefly in a game and then just tell this rich story behind it and you know, make it 3D, right? Like, make it, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, just have this rich story that really resonates and it feeds back into the game, right? So you even appreciate that character when you see it in the game more. That's that's genius. Wow. 100%. Huh. And, you know, that's the thing is that the characters, too, they're not one-to-one either. Like, their stories are subtly different or ma- or meaningfully different. Yeah. But it does still add to the character in the game, even if it is really different. Like, if I ever go play, not if, when I go play The Last of Us <laughs> Part 1 again, and I will at some point, probably when the series is over, okay. or when it is over, um, Bill will have an entirely different dynamic placed on him while I play the game. Yeah. Even though they're two different mediums, two different stories, it's still going to be for sure. And that's how you're supposed to do it, right? right? It's not just take the money and slap a license and you know, put it out there, uh, it's taking it to another level because you have that time that you can develop the characters and do that. Can't make, maybe in a game, but wow. That- and here's the thing, like, like, not everything needs to be that big, dramatic, in-depth, deep 
character study. Yeah. Sonic and Sonic 2, they're fun movies. This is a great video game adaptation. You know, yeah. everyone was making fun of Mario that's coming out because of Chris Pratt's voice. And I'm just, oh. whatever, it's Mario. And <laughs> Black sounds hysterical as Bowser. Can we all just, can we all just say the right. name and just enjoy it for what it is because they're not trying to make it something that it isn't? You know, like the Halo show? I loved Halo. My, like, my crowning achievement in, in competitive gaming was I reached number two in the world, worldwide leaderboard. What? Halo I did 2. not know this about you. Wow. Yeah, Halo 2's double team. Me and a friend of mine, friend Damn. of mine, did on Xbox Live I played with all the time. Uh, <laughs> his username was Asianator. So, Asianator, if you are happening to listen to this, uh, I was Revolver Fett. And that's I know, just a funny thing to put on the world. Anyway. Yeah. Like, I loved that game. I loved that franchise. And the show just ruined it. It just, like, it took, like, Master Chief, and instead of making Master Chief, well, Master Chief, they turned, yeah. him, in, they turned him into a one-dimensional character. Uh, like, I heard the Master production Chief. values were bad parts of the show, but I, I didn't know, hear a lot about it. But, yeah, it didn't resonate for me here. They added more to the character than actually took away from the character that you did know and love. Like, hmm. you can change a lot about that world and that story and that universe, but, like, if you're going to make the show about Master Chief, you've got to leave Master Chief Master Chief. You can't right. turn him into this other thing, which is what they did. Mm. And then, you know, there's the Assassin's Creed movie from like 10 years ago. Like, that was... Mm. That was I not remember great. that. Yeah. Was, Michael Fassbender was great, but that movie wasn't great. Prince of Persia. I don't know. There's a lot of ones that didn't do well, but there's so many that when they're just true to the spirit of the idea of the game, it's mm. fun ride. It's a totally fun ride. So. Yeah. So is there anything I should have asked you about but didn't? You know, thought a lot about it and I couldn't come up with a <laughs> I couldn't come up with a great answer. Um, uh, that's fine. We hit all the major beads here with the questions. That's cool. Um, I think it might be worth saying this. My boss is from New York. Uh, and he gets very, very irate whenever anybody suggests that New York pizza isn't the best pizza. And so as a piece of advice to people in the world, pizza is pizza. Uh, if it's got the cheese sauce and the bread, it's probably pretty tasty. And, you know, even if it's bad pizza, it's still pizza. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Oh, Chicago, you can't fold it. What the hell, man? It's not pizza. You got to be able to fold it. Yeah, uh, people get I tell people that pizza comes in squares and they go, you're a square. <laughs> right. Blasphemy. That's pub. That's pub cut uh, or tavern, whatever they call the squares. A tavern cut. Yeah, people get crazy about that. Um, so, where can people find you online? Like uh, website, yeah. Twitter. If you're still on Twitter, Mastodon, whatever uh, stuff like that. Best place to follow my stuff is just at Ray McCaffrey on Twitter. Um, okay. Been a little quiet recently because of uh, getting COVID and then the holidays and then just being busy with all of the things that an executive yeah. has to do. Right. Last question. What's one piece of advice you give others working in the game industry right now? Nothing is ever final. Ever. There's no such thing as a final game design. There's no such thing as a final piece of art. Mm -hmm. Just accept that and do the best you can and move on to the next thing. Like, it'll never be final. It'll never be good enough for you. Chances are, if you're in this industry, you're some version of a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. um, there is such a thing as better than good enough. Um, and that's the place you want to live in. Right. So, yep. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate being on tonight. This has uh, been a great conversation. Yeah, JP, I really appreciate you inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash game dev advice have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show again that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice thanks again for listening and being part of the show take care bye-bye